Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi. Fever Dreams is no longer producing new episodes, so I wanted to share another political podcast from the Daily Beast. It's called The New Abnormal. Enjoy this episode and subscribe at thedailybeast.com slash podcast or on your favorite major podcast player. For the past 33 years, the Electronic Frontier Foundation has been defending civil liberties in the digital world, defending free speech online, opposing surveillance, and promoting things like open source software, file sharing, and encryption. Joining me now is EFF Executive Director and co-host of the How to Fix the Internet podcast, Cindy Cohn. Cindy, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you for inviting me on. So I want to start by talking about something that's been in the news lately. It's a thing called the Restrict Act. It's being described as a TikTok ban, but that's not all it is, right? And it's actually pretty bad. Yeah, I think it's very bad. Regardless of what people think about TikTok, this bill is a really bad way to go about trying to address any concerns that people might have. I mean, the thing that it's changing, it gets a little wonky, but there's a thing called the Berman Amendment that basically means that the United States stands for freedom of information and people being able to have access to knowledge. And it basically doesn't allow the government to block channels by which people get information. So it's it's important from our perspective, from a country that believes in free speech, but it's also really important that the United States kind of stands as a beacon for freedom for the rest of the world about freedom for information. So what the Restrict Act does is basically create a TikTok-sized hole, well, actually bigger, as you say, but a hole in the Berman Amendment that lets the U.S., you know, the president block a channel of communication. And I just think that that's, it's problematic on a bunch of levels. And it's not even going to solve the problem that they're thinking about solving, which is the you know, the risk that the Chinese government has access to information uh, that TikTok collects on people. I hate to break this to the Congress, but there is a you know swath of data, oceans of data about what we do online that is already available. Um, they should ask the FBI because the FBI buys it regularly. And so do a lot of people around the world, including foreign governments. So, you know, cutting off the potential of the Chinese government have access to TikTok information isn't actually going to cut them off from having information about what Americans do all day. In order to address that, you need a real privacy law that starts really getting directly at giving us more control over the data that is collected about us as we go about our business online. Is there any good data privacy legislation out there that EFF supports? EFF wrote one called Privacy for All with our friends at the ACLU a little while ago. It's, it contains the things that that we like. I would say that right now it's not the thing that's being chosen, and that's because I think of the you know other forces at work in the legislative process. But we, right. we kind of think about three things that are needed in any privacy law. The first thing is it have strong substantive protections. The second thing is that it doesn't preempt stronger state laws. So California has a pretty strong privacy law right now. A couple other states do and are tinkering with stronger laws. One of the things that uh, the proposed federal law that was moving and is probably the one that's going to get picked up again is it it basically sets a ceiling on what the states can do. And, and basically, instead of having a privacy floor with the federal government, we're going to have a privacy 
ceiling that the federal government sits. And and EFF will strongly oppose anything that does that. And then the third thing is a private right of action. This idea that if your privacy is violated, you should have the right to, you know, go to court and and get protections. We we know that while there are some federal regulators that do privacy, the FTC does its best. There's some others that do some work on this. It's it's just not even remotely up to the challenge. Um, And as a result, we, we keep seeing our privacy violated over and over again. So we need a way that individual can be empowered to protect their privacy and change the situation. And those are the three things that we look at for any law. And right now, um, there isn't anything moving on the federal level that would address all three of those. Yeah, uh, I, I suppose I knew the answer was, of course, there isn't anything actually proceeding on the federal level. The state of Montana actually did pass an outright TikTok ban. Is that kind of thing enforceable? I don't think so. I mean, is it enforceable legally? Maybe they can do some enforcement mechanisms, but as a practical matter, it's going to be pretty hard. You know, right. you know, the internet is really, it's not easy to ban things off of the internet in the way that they're trying to do it in the state of Montana, much less by a, a single state, you know, but that doesn't mean it's not problematic. I mean, even, right. even if, you know, smart people with technical skills are still going to be able to have access to TikTok, you know, it's just the wrong way to go about dealing with things is to try to restrict this thing. And I, I really think there are a lot of people who love TikTok and for whom it's been really important, especially through the pandemic. You know, th- now's your time. You know, you need to stand up and and tell, you know, statewide and federally, like, this is kind of madness and and not good. And by the way, we're watching and we're going to pay attention at election time about whether you stood up for our rights to communicate with each other. Or you didn't. Yeah, it absolutely will be interesting to see how moves like this affect particularly, obviously, the younger generations who love using apps like TikTok and whether or not, you know, this kind of thing will actually hurt Republicans even more with the youth vote, which they are already in grave danger of losing almost completely. Yeah, I don't understand the political calculation here, but I also think that to me, the concerns about TikTok really are voicing what are, I think, legitimate and broader concerns about privacy. And what we need to do is direct that energy into a privacy law that protects us regardless of who's trying to violate our privacy and that we push these companies to business models that, you know, are respectful of us instead of treating us like the fodder for, you know, their secondary and tertiary sales to other people. Yeah. I mean, I personally, like I killed my Instagram account uh, a couple of years ago because I got tired of the idea that Mark Zuckerberg was getting all my data. Uh, On the other hand, I do have a TikTok account, which I guess says about me that I am more concerned about Zuckerberg having my data than the Chinese government? I mean, I think it's a no-win situation, right? I think that a lot of people feel pushed into trying to make their individual decisions about what tools they use you know, trying to make the best ones. And and the, the the deal is that it's rigged. I don't want to live in a world where you unplug and go live in a hole somewhere. And I don't think you could even really live that way anymore. But I wouldn't want to live in that world. I still want to talk to my family and friends and be in community. So we need to stand up for better legal systems, right? Legal systems that empower us and that address some of the excesses of this extreme you know, embrace of a surveillance business model that's kind of taken over everything. And and it's it's problematic from the company side, but it's also problematic. You know, I'm a civil liberties lawyer, kind of the OG kind of civil liberties lawyer where I think right. a lot about the government. And, you know, the government is a huge beneficiary of all of this tracking of us that's happening. They buy it. Uh, they have access to it. They tap into the internet backbone and get access to it there. So without 
comprehensive privacy law. And by comprehensive, I mean that this involves the government too, not just corporate actors. But certainly, if we could even limit what corporate actors can do, we're going to cut off the flood of things going to governments as well. And it's not just our government. I mean, we're circling back to TikTok, but you know, the Chinese government is a very aggressive purchaser and obtainer of information about people who use digital systems quite apart from from TikTok. And, you know, and, you know, they're they're willing to break into systems, right? Some of the data breaches that we've dealt with, including the, you know, Office of Management and Budget one, the main suspect is the Chinese government actors getting access to this information. So I'm all for trying to limit the amount of information about us that is collected and and used against us in our online activities. I just think singling out TikTok and pretending like that's where the whole, where, that's where the problem is, 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 is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I want to move on to two new bills that are before Congress that seem more than a little troubling. Talk to me about the Earn It bill and the Stop CSAM Act of 2023. Yeah, they're both problematic. I mean, you know, the Congress has suddenly decided that the internet matters, which, you know, I've been at this for over 30 years. It's one of those careful what you wish for situations because the things that they're embracing are really problematic. So the Earn It Act is something that everyone should have on their lips who cares about security and privacy online. This is an attempt to try to basically force companies into dumbing down the security that they offer all of us in exchange for keeping some liability protections for what other people say online. So it's kind of the worst of both worlds, right? It's going to make a less secure internet where there's more censorship of what people say, and less willingness for platforms to host it. So the first thing is that it wants to push companies into building a backdoor into anything you say or do online, which means dumbing down the security that they give you. And in exchange for that, the companies will enjoy some liability from what users post, something called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which is a a law that says that intermediaries aren't responsible for what their users say and do. Users are responsible for what they say and do. That's what the Earn It Act does. And as I said, it's kind of the worst of both worlds, right? We need more security and we need to make sure that the places where we want to speak online are willing to host our speech, even if it's controversial. And this is going to cut against both of those. It's a bill that we've killed. We, meaning the broader community of, of people online, have killed this bill several times now. It's like a zombie. It's back from the dead. Right. And we can kill it again, but we need people to, to stick with it, right? I mean, this is one of the tricky parts of being, uh, you know, advocating for the public interest against law enforcement. You know, they show up all the time, everywhere you go over and over again. And when you think something's dead, it's never really dead. It'll come back again. And that's what's happened with the Earn It Act. And so we really need, there's an action on EFF that's been uh, tremendously popular so far, but people need to just show up again and say, nope, it was a bad idea before and it's a bad idea now. The Stop CSAM Act is also a bad proposal. It's using the the scourge of child sexual abuse material, CSAM, that's what that stands for, again, to try to create more liability for intermediaries and make intermediaries block end-to-end encryption and instead scan everything that happens on your device or on your system. It's moved a lot, so I, I may be a little wrong on the specifics, so maybe at the end of this, I'll check back and, and be, be very specific. But the Stop CSAM Act is another way that the government is trying to push companies into building less secure systems so that you and I can't have a private conversation in the digital world anymore. And it basically treats everyone as if they're a suspect. 
right and make trying to encourage or require companies to build you know basically massive mass scanning of our digital technologies because some people you know, might be engaged in sharing child sexual abuse material. But in the United States, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. We're supposed to be able to live our lives freely and law enforcement should have to actually do legal work to try to figure out, you know, who who the bad guys are. They shouldn't be able to just sit back at a push of the button and scan everybody's stuff in case somebody's doing something wrong. So I have a problem with it philosophically because I think it turns kind of due process and the way we think about criminal law on its head. Um, It also doesn't work very well. I mean, this CSAM scanning that we've looked at in other contexts is massively overbroad. It flags far more stuff than the stuff that they're really after. And the result is that the authorities are are basically flooded with false, false positives and they don't prosecute very many. I mean, the numbers are really low. The percentage of reports versus the percentage of prosecutions is very, very low. And some of that's because law enforcement is flooded and they don't have a lot of resources. And some of that is because of the flood of false positives. So, you know, if you're really trying to find the kind of, you know, needles in the haystack that the wrong thing to do is pile on more hay. And that's what this Stop CSAM Act is is essentially doing where, you know, if we really want to get at the scourge of this, it'd be better to throw more resources at traditional law enforcement techniques to find and then prosecute at a higher level than they're currently prosecuting for this horrible crime. Yeah. And it does feel like, you know, we see this a lot. To me, it's it's a cynical use and It is a, I hate to use this word, but it's an exploitation of child sexual abuse material, which, look, I can't think of anyone who thinks that that is not one of the most horrific things in the world. But what they do is they take that sort of natural feeling that 99.9% of us have, and they try to use it to take away our rights and to take away our ability to communicate with each other without surveillance. And- it's to me not dissimilar sort of from what they have done with what is it FOSTA and SESTA where they're claiming to try to help women who are forced into sex work and minors who are forced into sex work and what they end up doing is harming people who are legitimately doing sex work voluntarily. Yes, it's exactly the same problem and in fact it's you know it's using some of the same mechanisms right trying to increase liability and you're exactly right and the thing about FOSTA-SESTA is that now we actually have pretty good research Research. We, you know, we predicted that this wasn't going to help with sex trafficking and instead was going to drive a lot of legitimate content, including, you know, we have a client, we're challenging that FOSTA-SESTA in a case called Woodhull. And, you know, we have a client who's a, a regular non-sexual massage therapist who, you know, Craigslist doesn't host those ads anymore. So he's lost one of his ways of getting business. You know, there's a lot of sex worker organizing that happens and information to help keep sex workers safe, like bad date lists and things like that. That's all been pushed to the shadows and pushed off of the mainstream places. And the result is, you know, not only has this not make a dent in the real problem of sex trafficking, it's put a whole lot of other people at risk. And so we have research now. This is not, um, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not in the pre-law thing where I was like, this is going to happen. Now we're like, this happened. And, you know, I live in San Francisco. The number of sex workers out on the street in my neighborhood has gone up since FOSTA-SESTA passed because they can't you know, operate online, which is much safer. And we're not dealing with the underlying problem. So to turn around and do the same thing around CSAM or the Earn It Act, we know this doesn't work. 
we know it's not the right way to go about it, but yet uh, you're exactly right. The emotions run high. You say something like sex trafficking or child sexual abuse material, and a lot of people just want you to fix it. And they don't really want to pay attention to all the ways in which the thing that you're putting up as a fix isn't a fix and is also problematic in other ways. Yeah. And then it leaves you on the other side, you know, saying, well, exactly what you just said, but all people hear is, oh, you don't want to stop child sexual abuse material. That's why I say it's just to me, it's such a cynical exploitation of a, of a horrific issue. And it just really bugs me. Before I let you go, I want to ask you uh, about one more thing. The Biden administration wants Congress to reauthorize Section 702 of the FISA amendments. And you have been directly involved in lawsuits challenging the kinds of things that Section 702, I guess, makes legal. Tell me about that. People may recall, even before Mr. Snowden, but when Mr. Snowden confirmed that the U.S. government was tapping into the internet backbone, the kind of back end part of the internet in order to watch all the traffic that goes by, um, and also was presenting orders to the Googles and the Facebooks of the world that require them to search their whole corpus for anybody who talks to anybody who talks to anybody, kind of three, three levels back, and also the phone records collection. So we discovered that the NSA was massively spying on people. And so the NSA and the phone companies and other people who'd been cooperating with them ran to Congress and got a law passed called the FISA Amendments Act Section 702, which purports to legalize this thing that had been done completely illegally since um, shortly after September 11th until they were caught in about 2007, 2008. Sorry, this is more history than you probably need. But No, this is good. (laughs) This is the authority. This is the authority that by which the NSA is tapping into the Internet backbone and giving these orders to the Googles and Facebooks of the world. That program is called PRISM. And the tapping into the upstream thing is called upstream. So this authority authorizes those two programs, probably some others that we don't know about. And Congress, while it passed this law, it did set it so it would expire every few years and have to be renewed. So 702 is up for renewal in December of this year. And there is a real effort on behalf of a lot of people to try to rein the NSA back in and get rid of this kind of mass spying. We know that the system is imperfect every single time a inspector general or somebody looks at it, they find all the ways in which the NSA just cannot pull this off. The FBI has access to this data now too. Once the government collects this data, they take the position that if they collected it in the first place, it can be used for lots of other purposes that don't have anything to do with national security because the national security was the reason they collected it in the first place. This is, we call this backdoor searches that the advocates do. And it's, it's highly, highly problematic. We just learned that a Representative LaHood Hood, who's a a member of Congress from Michigan, had his phone and other things and internet targeted by the NSA. You know, like they weren't even able to stop themselves from illegally spying on a member of Congress, right? Plus all the rest of us. So it's a problematic thing. It's time to rein the NSA back in and bring them under the rule of law in a way that, that protects all of us who are innocent. Again, this just flips the whole idea of being a free people on its head, where everything we do online is is subject to scanning and and secret processes that we're not really able to see. And the government says, well, don't worry, you know, it's for national security. And so don't worry your pretty little head about it, human. Right. I just think that that's not how it should work in a democracy. That's not how it should work in a country where people actually have freedom. And they don't do it very well. They're spending a lot of money 
And they mess up over and over again in terms of this. Even the FISA court, which is, you know, the secret court that approves these kind of programmatic warrants, not individual warrants, but programmatic ones. The FISA court has continually, every single time, every single order that gets declassified, we see all the ways in which they they actually aren't doing this very well. And I think it's time for us as a, a country to put the brakes on it and make them come back to us with something that is more narrow and more focused on, you know, developing out actual leads that they have rather than scanning everybody first and figuring out second who you really need. Why are both parties so bad on these issues? I mean, this is honestly, this is one of the reasons I was a libertarian for so long. I think that often people get stuck into this dichotomy where they're asked, well, do you worry more about corporations or do you worry more about the government? And it's just a false dichotomy, right? Everything corporations do is available to the government. And so we have to think of them together. And we also have to think of the consequences. I don't like the surveillance business model. I don't like being tracked all around by companies. I also don't like the idea that that information is, you know, can be and is regularly used to throw people in jail without proper due process and warrants that, you know, and Fourth Amendment protections that we should experience as Americans. Amen to that. Cindy, thank you so much for being here. Cindy Cohn, it was great talking to you. To our listeners, go to EFF.org to learn a lot more about these and other really important issues. Cindy, thanks again. Thank you. Hey, one more thing, if I have a second. One of the things about being in my chair is that um, we're often always talking about things that are horrible and going wrong and not good and the fights we have to have. And I I just wanted to, to note that we put together the podcast, How to Fix the Internet, to give ourselves a chance to really talk about what it looks like if we get it right and help build a vision of an internet that supports people's security, that supports their privacy, where the government is limited in what it does um, to the tools that it really needs to keep us safe and not things that involve mass surveillance. So the flip side in some ways of the work that I do every day and this conversation we just have is what we're trying to make sure that we're lifting up in the podcast. So I don't know if your viewers are interested, but I thought that might be, that's one of the ways that I've dealt with the fact that there is so much going wrong and there's so many ways to criticize it is to to try to find the people who are helping us build a better world and talk to them sometimes too. Excellent. Cindy, thank you so much. We had such an incredible time making this podcast and want to thank you for joining us each week as we explored the shifting landscape of the fringe right. To continue following the impact ultra-conservatives have on the country, please tune in to The New Abnormal, where our colleagues Danielle Moody and Andy Levy talk to some of the biggest names in politics every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Listen at thedailybeast.com slash podcast or your favorite major podcast player. And thanks again for joining us on Fever Dreams. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.